Welcome to a special Wednesday pod. RJ is under the weather. We're going to come back strong tomorrow, Thursday, go through the entire card. In the meantime, I'm going to supplement that pod with an NBA draft night, about half an hour of discussion on some key games, along with some key concepts that I've been meaning to get to. So we're going to talk some advantage teaser play, we're going to talk some specific quarterbacks out there, talk about Tua, Russell Wilson, the Raiders at Kansas City game. We're going to talk about Green Bay Indy. And I'm hoping I can wrap this all up in about half an hour. And if we're not careful, maybe we'll all learn something here along the way. Let's go ahead and begin with teasers. You know, I'm going to go ahead and give you some reading material because I'm going to give you some math and it's a little bit ugly. So if you're so inclined, Stanford Wong, Sharp Sports Betting, and King Yale wrote a book um, Weighing the Odds in Sports Betting. Those are two excellent books that I know address the teaser topic. When we bet a teaser, it's essentially a two-team parlay, and we get anywhere from six to seven extra points typically, but we have to win both legs in order to win. And teasers were actually so successful for the betters that the odds have gotten progressively worse. I remember when a six-point NFL teaser, you could bet that at even money, back in the 90s. Now, most places, it's minus 120 on a six-point NFL teaser. Why do you play teasers? Well, essentially, you feel that that extra six points you pick up is really going to increase your win percentage. And the reason is, if you break down the math, if you're doing a six-point teaser and you're laying minus 120, you're essentially laying minus 120 on that bet. But if you break out each individual leg, you've got to get over 74% of each individual leg correct to have an advantage profitable wager. And that works out to be laying about minus 285 on each individual leg. So in order to be successful, you have to go ahead and hit a very high percentage. And the way to do so is... By adding those six points, you want to really juice your win percentage. And the way to do that is to capture the key numbers of three through seven. And I think most people know this. So the idea is that you want to turn a minus eight favorite to a minus two or a plus two underdog up to plus eight. As it turns out, teasing home favorites is more profitable versus teasing road favorites in the NFL where there's more volatility. I've seen a lot of people utilizing more teasers and trying to get creative with the math. And bottom line, it's very difficult to win other than playing those basic strategy teasers. I'm going to outline one example of why, even if it is profitable, it's still wrong to tease not using basic strategy. Let me use two six-point NFL favorites because I see this all the time where people will go ahead and tease those down to pick them. All they have to do is win in a two-team teaser. The problem being is that the teaser is charging you extra VIG. Remember, you're laying minus 285 on each bet, but a six-point NFL favorite on the money line is much less than minus 285. Shop around. You probably get it maybe minus 245, minus 250, So, um, if not better than that. So essentially, as soon as you're playing the teaser, you're laying 30, 35, 40 extra cents on each leg that you're playing versus Hey, if you really liked that money line on both those teams, you thought they both were going to win, okay, parlay them together on the money line. Your payout will be so much better than playing the teaser. So definitely be aware of that, that when you are teasing games, the beauty of a, a six and a half 
favored team or a six point favored team is that the teaser is essentially an identical bet to the money line. So there's never a reason to ever tease a six or six and a half point favorite laying um, the teaser vig if you can get that on the money line at less than minus 285, because you are indeed comparing apples to apples. And that is why I'm so anti-teaser other than the basic strategy in the NFL. Moving over to college, I'm sure there's a situation where with a very low total, say a 36, not that I think we're ever going to see a 36 this year, and you have a 7.5 to 8.5 point favorite, that maybe you could find a college game where you had an advantage teaser. But the bottom line is that college is more volatile than the NFL. Eight-point dogs win more often in college than they do in the NFL. And because of that, it is almost never correct to tease a college football game. All things being equal, there are always exceptions to the rules. The number one exception I see, every now and then you see a sports book that just for whatever reason in the game, they move the VIG but they don't move the spread. So like on an added game in college, I once saw a favorite was minus seven and a half, lay a dollar 87. And this book was just letting the auto move, keep moving the spread as all the money was pouring in on that favorite. And they closed like an 11 point favorite. Well, that was the case where I did tease a college team where I took that team minus seven and a half, minus a dollar 87 down to minus one and a half because most of the software when they compute teasers does not look at the VIG associated with the bet. So that is the exception to the rule. If you see something where there's excessive VIG on what would be a basic strategy teaser in the NFL and even in college, there can be times to go ahead and make that bet. Like in the NFL, if you ever saw like a plus one and a half, lay a dollar thirty-five. That's a great teaser to go ahead and play because they've essentially become the favorite and you can still tease them up from one and a half to seven and a half. So things to look at with teasers, all things being equal, I'd be very, very cautious about playing teasers other than the basic strategy of an NFL game and teasing through the three and through the seven. An exception would be, and I do this all the time myself, there's times where an NFL favorite will be about a seven and a quarter point favorite. Seven some places, seven and a half in others. And frankly, I really like teasing at a book that has that minus seven already and teasing it down to the minus one where I'm getting a break because I'm essentially getting a six and one quarter point teaser and only paying for six points because of that. And I'm almost going through the full seven and, of course, through the three as well. Thursday night football, R.J. Bell really dove into Russell Wilson and how he does at home against Arizona. And this is just remarkable information. All things being equal, I would have expected that Russell Wilson would just have stellar games at home against Arizona. You got a team from the desert traveling to Seattle where the weather's often bad. It's raining. Not good for a desert team. And I would have expected Russell Wilson would have torched Arizona. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you look the last five years, Russell Wilson, and you ranked his games 1 through 16 during the regular season, how does his game at home hosting Arizona stack up? I would think very well. Turns out one of his games was average where it was his eighth best game. The other four years, three of the games were his worst game of the year. He ranked 16th out of 16, and one of the other games he ranked 15th. Think about how bad this is. So for him to go 16th, 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 three years in a row, that's going to happen about 
one in 4,000 times against a random opponent. Remember, this is a favorable situation, you would have thought. And then being 15th, that's about a one-eighth chance. You're looking at a 32,000-to-1 odds of this just being random. There is something about Arizona at Seattle that Russell Wilson just struggles with. I don't know if Russell Wilson is colorblind and Seattle always wears some green in their uniform when they play the red um, uniforms of Arizona. I doubt that's the reason. But something clearly seems to be going on. Uh, The basis of all these numbers is QBR in terms of we went ahead, RJ did, looked at the QBR for Russell Wilson. And again, four of the five games when he is hosting Arizona – 15th, 16th, 16th, and 16th. Uh, I just, those numbers are just enough to make me never want to bet on Seattle at home against Arizona, even though I cannot explain it. Let's talk a little Drew Brees. So Drew Brees tells his coach, oh, not feeling so good. I don't think I can go in the second half. Well, turns out he's got multiple fractured ribs. And a collapsed lung. So how tough is Drew Brees? I think that sums up how tough he is indeed. The question is how valuable is Drew Brees? Noodle Arm, a guy who's been um, kind of dismissed by the media as someone who just can't throw the ball downfield and isn't effective anymore. It turns out Drew Brees is number three in QBR in the NFL. He's having a great year. Yeah, there's a lot of dump-offs to Kamara's. But there's also a lot of really good decision-making being made. And remember, Breeze has been without his best wide receiver, Michael Thomas, essentially the entire year. Michael Thomas has now played just a couple of games, and Sanders was missing as well for Drew Breeze. So he has not had his weapons, and he's still having a great year. Now, Winston takes over, was very workmanlike, careful with the ball last week against San Francisco. The bottom line is I have – the drop-off from Breeze to Winston being three points in my power ratings. The reason that it's that significant is, again, I think Drew Breeze absolutely is a top-five quarterback, and I have Winston as just a slightly below-average quarterback. Now, Vegas disagrees. Vegas thinks there's not as much of a separation, and we see that from what the line has moved from last week versus this week. So Atlanta, they're on a bye, and Atlanta was a seven-point underdog, against New Orleans. So clearly Atlanta hasn't done anything to change this number. And frankly, New Orleans in their performance against San Francisco, if you look at the stats, the final score, it really wasn't something that we would move the New Orleans power rating on. Yet Atlanta now is a five-point underdog. So there's been a two-point adjustment for Winston taking over. I think this is not enough of an adjustment. I think that New Orleans is not going to be nearly as good with Winston. Even if Winston has a stronger arm and can throw more down the field, I think Drew Brees is being sold short in terms of his abilities, in terms of what he can do. And because of that, I would only look towards Atlanta in that game. Go to South Beach. Let's talk Tua. Tua's getting a whole lot of love here. Look at the offensive rookie of the year odds here. Latest numbers uh, Herbert, number one, plus 125. Burrow, plus 170. And Tua is plus 330. Just last week, Tua was nine to one. Now he's essentially three to one. Now, what's interesting about this is that Tua's only played three games, but he has three wins. Herbert and Burrow. Each has two wins. So 
I could certainly see the case for Tua if he keeps playing as he has to be able to win the rookie of the year on offense. However, I think Tua is overrated. I think Tua, those three wins, just remarkable in terms of the Miami offensive production versus how much Tua is contributing to it. So Miami's averaging 30 points per game under Tua. That's great. NFL average is below 25. However, Miami scored five fluky touchdowns. They've had three return touchdowns. They blocked a punt where they got the ball on the one, punched that in. That was a fluky touchdown. They had another turnover where they scored from the one. So that's basically accounting for 40% of the offensive production from those plays. If they don't get those plays, Miami would only be averaging 18 points per game, well below the NFL average by about a touchdown. I also might add there's some other scores that Miami has gotten that have been, let's just say, beyond fortunate, short fields to drive on. You look at the Chargers last week, and Miami kicked a field goal, and the Chargers were nice enough to jump off sides, continue the drive. There's an extra uh, gift touchdown for Miami. A whole lot of that has been going on, not just in one, not just in two, but all three of the games. Clearly, the number one game was the game against the Rams, where Miami somehow put up 28 points despite having almost no offense and getting outgained by over 300 yards in that game against the Rams. It's unsustainable. You look at the yards per play, Miami is getting four and a half. Not good. NFL average, more than a yard better per play. So a significant um, difference between just NFL average and what Miami is putting up. Now, I get it. Miami ultra conservative in that Rams game. So that can explain a little bit of this. But I don't expect that Tua is going to be an above average quarterback moving forward. And in fact, I have Fitzpatrick being the better quarterback sitting on the bench. Fitzpatrick one point better quarterback than Tua, but I have upgraded Tua. Tua has certainly not just met my expectations, he's exceeded them. He's just not as good as Fitzpatrick. Um, what's the one team that consistently outperforms their stats? Can Miami be number two? Is there one team that's better? Mackenzie Rivers, what do you think? Well, the one team that consistently outperforms their stats, I think you would agree, is the New England Patriots. Now, I've heard a lot of people, I'm not sure if I'm qualified to make the coaching assessment, a lot of people have said the things they're seeing from Miami remind them of those unbelievable mid-2000s Patriots teams. You know, that's a great point. So, you know, you wonder what Flores learned from Belichick and the like, although there's been plenty of Belichick disciples that seemingly have learned nothing from him once they become <laughs> head coaches. But um, New England's the team that always seems to fool the wise guys because, oh, they don't anticipate that Jacoby Myers is going to throw a, um, a wide receiver option pass touchdown. Um, unpredictable contingent events. New England always seems to have a left-footed punter. They always seem to have special teams, uh, flawless play and the like. So they get final scores that are better than what the underlying stats are. And we'll have to keep an eye on Miami. Will Miami potentially be a team that outperforms their overall statistics very uh, excellent observation, data too small. We'll see what develops as we move forward. To take a look at the Raiders-Kansas City game, really fascinating game. Great spot for Kansas City. Great showdown, Sunday night football here. So Kansas City, they've only lost once all year long. That was, of course, to the Raiders. The Raiders put up 40 on them. And I could see 
Kansas City circling this game completely for the past month. And frankly, Kansas City's had a lot of games. And maybe they didn't circle. I think back earlier in the year, the game against the Chargers, they kind of sleptwalked through that one in the first half. The game against Carolina, where they seemed a little disinterested. But here's a game I would ex- fully expect Kansas City was going to bring their A-plus game. And the fact that word got out that the Raiders, sh- shenanigans, circling Arrowhead after their win in Kansas City. Just a little more gasoline on the fire to fire up Andy Reid's boys. And, oh, by the way, Andy Reid, really good off of a bye. Give him extra time to prepare. Overall numbers, Kansas City under Andy Reid, 25-6 and six straight up. 21-10 and 10 against the spread. If you break out the regular season numbers, they're comparable. So um, here's a team in general. You want to go ahead and back Kansas City. And if you look at the against the spread margins, it's a little over five points per game that Kansas City is exceeding expectations. And now the Raiders, lots of distractions during a big showdown week. Raiders, um, Colin Farrell has COVID and COVID tracing to a whole lot of guys on the defense, three starters, three backups, all currently on the COVID list. Now, if they can get some negative tests, those guys can play. We will see what transpires. But with that distraction, this is a game that opened six and a half. Word kind of got out about what was going on. I saw it get bet all the way up to Kansas City minus seven and a half, and then boom, off the board right now, so no one is taking action on this game. Even if good news comes for the Raiders, the spot is still really good for Kansas City, and the you know it's certainly possible that we won't get good news for the Raiders. Now, oftentimes, when betting these games, you hear, well, how bad can it really be? Because if everybody had came down with COVID, then the NFL would cancel the game, postpone it. I don't think that's going to happen in this case because think about the Raiders. And, Mackenzie, I'm going to ask you about this as well because I would argue no team has violated the NFL um, guidelines as much as the Raiders with Gruden not wearing masks, um, Waller having his charity party where apparently there was complete violations and not non-usage of masks and the like. The Raiders have already been fined for not complying with the guidelines. And given that, if we have a situation where a whole lot of Raiders come down with COVID, I think the NFL is going to say, you know what? You're going to have to play anyways. Your thoughts, McKenzie? If John Gruden needs to be the long snapper, I think the NFL forces the Raiders out onto the field. I mean, if you look at the pictures from that Darren Waller charity event, whole lot of people indoors, laughing and smiling, not a mask among them. I think the Raiders are an example the NFL might Make an example of them. Even if they have five, ten players, doesn't matter. They're playing Sunday. There you go. All right, let's take a look at one more game, one more big game, Green Bay at Indianapolis. Pretty big move on this one. Look ahead line, Packers laying two and a half. Then you look at the world opener, and it was Pickham. And that made sense that there'd be an adjustment of some sort. We saw Green Bay on the scoreboard. They only beat Jacksonville by four. And Indianapolis, solid win by 17 Thursday night football. Money has kept coming in on Indianapolis. Indianapolis currently laying one and a half. I know there's some people very high on Indianapolis, specifically the Indy defense, Darius Leonard. He's a beast middle linebacker. And this defense, as long as Leonard has played, been really good. Indy's defense has held opponents with Leonard to 17 points per game. The one time when Leonard didn't play, excuse me, two times, well, against the Ohio teams, not exactly offensive juggernauts this year, but 
The Ohio team, Cincy and Cleveland, have averaged 30 against Indy. Both of those games were the two games Darius Leonard missed. So uh, betters clearly like Indy with Darius Leonard. I think Green Bay may be getting shortchanged a little bit here. If you take a look, a lot of those games early in the year for Green Bay, they're looking a lot more impressive. Now, Green Bay split with the Minnesota Vikings, and you know they lost at home 28-22. That loss is not looking nearly as bad when Dalvin Cook ran all over Green Bay. Well, that's what Dalvin Cook does lately. He has been uh, just tremendous as it has become an MVP candidate, and the Vikings are back in contention. So going one-on-one against the Vikings does not look nearly as bad. That win at New Orleans, looking more impressive by the moment, and even that win against Atlanta, workmanlike 14-point win, Atlanta's played better as well. So if you look at Green Bay's strength of schedule, some people had questions about it, not nearly as easy as it appeared to be. And even that Jacksonville win, put a little asterisk by that Green Bay They only win by four points, but uh, give up two touchdowns. Well, 91-yard punt return touchdown, and there was a turnover. Jacksonville got a very short drive for their second touchdown. So I can make the case, yeah, Green Bay probably should have won that game by 11 or so. Maybe they shouldn't have covered, but any kind of significant downgrade for Green Bay probably doesn't make sense. And although I do think Indianapolis is worthy of an upgrade for their win against Tennessee, that 17-point margin, a good part of it was 14 points generated on special teams because Tennessee was unable to punt the ball correctly in that game. Uh, We saw a punt block for touchdown. That was obvious. We also saw a punt shank for 17 yards, leading to a short 27-yard drive. Bottom line is we saw Indy, having about a 30% chance to win that game before the punter's gaffes after those two mistakes. And he suddenly rocketed up to about an 80% chance to win that game. So with the uh, favorite flipping, Green Bay looks attractive. Oh, and how nice is this, McKenzie? The last two games I spoke about, we talk about advantage teasers. Well, if you want to employ an advantage teaser, you can go ahead and lay Kansas City when the number comes back up from 7.5 down to 1.5. And you can take Green Bay from plus one and a half up to plus seven and a half to uh, basic strategy advantage teaser legs that you can pair together. I like that. I can't see the Chiefs losing and I can't see the Colts getting margin. I might I might be stopping over at Sunset Station on my way home today. You know, it's interesting. There's a reason they call those teasers because they're so attractive and you almost think to yourself, how could it possibly lose? Right. (laughs) And then and then I have to I, I have to remind everyone UNLV college football team once lost as a 45-point favorite against Howard. So that kind of shows why you shouldn't tease college games. Uh, Going to go ahead and tease UNLV down to 39. Um, you don't quite get there at minus 39. You needed another 40-plus points in order to cover, obviously. Um, I could list multiple other huge upsets, but um, NFL favorites – Never get past the point of, I think the NFL highest was Denver laying 26 and a half against Jacksonville. That's right. So to, just to put things in perspective, and I know there was one uh, that I used. Like you, there was a UCLA-Texas game where I think Texas was a 10-point favor, and they lost like 10 to 66. So there's just too much volatility overall in that college game. But two good teasers that you can uh, go ahead and play. Just to summarize, if you're looking for an advantage teaser through the key numbers of 3 and 7, as we discussed, certainly right now, 
two games would qualify, going ahead and taking Green Bay from plus one half up to plus seven half and taking the Kansas City Chiefs down from minus seven half to minus one and a half. Good luck to everyone with your advantage bets. Well, with your bets, hopefully they are they are advantage bets. RJ and I will be back with the Dream Pod tomorrow.